Hey, hey, it's Andy Yanez, and welcome to another episode of Houston, the Houston Roundball Review presents Folks Talking Sports, presented by Five Star Properties. Five Star Properties, a Dallas-based company owned by a UH alum. If you are facing foreclosure or need to sell your house as is for cash, call 972-532-SELL. That's 972-532-SELL, or visit their website at fivestarprops.com. That's F-I-V-E. F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R-P-R-O-P-S dot com. And without further ado, welcome into the show, James Muto of the Daily Cougar, Willie Gibson. How are you two doing? Doing well. Good, sir. How about you? I'm doing good. We'll have a lot to discuss in regards to the University of Houston Cougars men's basketball team going out on the road in Charlottesville and beating Virginia, an epic World Cup finale, and a lot more, including Ohio State men's basketball hoops because they had a big game over the weekend as well. Don't go anywhere. This is Folks Talking Sports presented by Five Star Property. intro for folks talking sports is pretty it's pretty dope a big shout out to chris for having one of his friends being able to hook that up for us but without further ado i guess we'll start in regards to the houston cougars men's basketball team james i'm going to toss it over to you first i'd love to get your thoughts about what the cougars were able to do on the road which honestly was you can't even really say it was arguable it was the best uh, at least up to this point win of the season they went up to Charlottesville and dethroned number two Virginia in a game that outside of the first four or five minutes it really seemed like Houston was able to impose its will against the Cavaliers yeah for sure it was sort of similar to the Alabama game as and where you know Houston fell down early they weathered the storm a little bit um and then in that second half, they got out to a big lead, and this time they were able to close it out. Uh, Jairus Walker played probably, arguably, his best game of the year. Um, just he, uh, it wasn't his top scoring game, but he did a little bit of everything. Uh, rebounded well, uh, dished out I think four assists. Um, and I mean, from all I've heard, I wasn't there, but it was a pretty crazy environment. So uh, to be able to do that as a freshman is very impressive. And then. Um, yeah, it's just it's just they talked about this game being a confidence boost for uh, or, or or just a confidence boost after, you know, last week and it, or, or it's a chance to redeem themselves. And they certainly did that with uh, going down and dethroning number two. For sure. That's something that Kelvin Sampson postgame said. He said he's not sure if Houston would have been able to go, go into Charlottesville and pull off that victory the way they were able to do if it hadn't been for that experience that they got a week ago against Alabama. And especially they looked much more comfortable. Something that Kelvin Sampson said, told reporters that were there live in Charlottesville is that you know, just overall the team was able to go in there and execute the game plan well. And defensively, they were able to hold down Virginia to really a, a good performance overall across team defense. They said that they did a good job. The game plan coming into the game was trying to take away the middle. So they encouraged Virginia's guards to drive baseline. But what they were trying to do is take away any of the big men. They would roll down the middle of the lane. That's something that Virginia would do really well. or That's how they've hurt their opponents this season and forced them to kick it out to the corner. And that's how Houston would defend them. And Kelvin Sampson was pleased overall with that. And then absolutely, like you mentioned, James, in regards to Jairus Walker, he did a little bit about 
a little bit of everything for the Cougars with 17 points, seven rebounds, four assists, and he really hit the dagger on Virginia towards the end of that second half where he had a nice play. He drove down to his right, fake tech. He was going to turn back to his left and then just rose up for a jumper that, I mean, that was a difficult shot over Jaden Gardner, who obviously the Cougars know really well. And looking ahead, they have one more game left in their non-conference slate before they start their final American Athletic Conference schedule beginning December 28th against Tulsa. And that'll be this upcoming Wednesday against McNeese. Quick thoughts on that game, James, in regards to McNeese, because obviously the the, the meat and bones of the non-conference schedule is behind them, but still an important game in regards to being able to close out the non-conference slate with just one loss. That would be pretty impressive with, with the opponents that they faced early on. Yeah, for sure. The big thing I'm looking for going into this McNeese game is just the rotations Kelvin Sampson uses because he's talked about experimenting with a few different things. And interestingly, against uh, Virginia, only guard to play off the bench was True, or I, I, I don't know if he's a true freshman. He was with the team for one semester. He's Richard, so but, yeah, technically right, he's a Richard. Redshirt freshman, Emmanuel Sharp. Uh, Ramon Walker didn't play. True freshman, Terrence Arsenault didn't get in there. And then uh, the only two other people off the bench were Chaney, Reggie Chaney, who um, even though his stats won't pop off the page, his second half was really impressive and um, something that sort of uh, sparked the Cougars and uh, also JVA Francis, but he only played three or four minutes. So I'm interested to see Kelvin's talked about it a lot, you know, still trying to learn this team and sort of what fits, what groups fit. And so, you know, going into conference play, that's going to be big. So this is your final chance to tune up before you head in there. So I'm interested to see the different rotations he rolls out there and sort of, if he's starting to find a group groups of five that he likes outside of, you know, just the typical starters. I think it's interesting, too, against Virginia. He said that's a team that's really hard for freshmen to go in there and play just because of how disciplined they are. And they really force you to to play as disciplined against them as well in regards to being able to take care of the ball. That's one of the biggest keys that Houston and Calvin Sampson said was going into the game. And like you mentioned, for back-to-back games, JVA Francis, he was the first big man off the bench for Houston. Emmanuel Sharp was the first guard. And against Virginia on Saturday, it was just an eight-man rotation. So at least up to this point, no certainty you would assume that those are the eight that Kelvin Sampson has the most confidence in, at least to this point in the season. And there's still a lot left to go if they, they really begin the, the conference slate just 10 days from today. But on that note, we'll transition over. We're sticking to college hoops. Willie, we're going to toss it over to you because there was another big game. Saturday was a really good slate for college basketball across the entire country. And one of those games was between number 23, Ohio State, and the North Carolina Tar Heels that went into overtime. And it saw North Carolina coming away with the victory. Uh, what were your takeaways from that game? What stood out to you about that game, Will? Um, what stood out to me as far as from the Ohio State perspective is uh, true freshman Bryce Sensabaugh. Um had career high 22 points, eight rebounds, and he kind of had a coming into his own game. It's it's he's had games where you've seen he scratched the surface. He's he's coming, he's coming. I think yesterday he arrived in a certain aspect that um, on the big stage, Madison Square Garden, the mecca of, of basketball, he came in. Uh, even though Ohio State did not get the win, he took control of that game. And also along with him, a uh, true point guard, a true freshman as well, a uh, point guard, Bruce Thornton had 17 points, uh, who's been phenomenal from, from day one. Uh, a true freshman starting that point guard at Ohio State is rare. And he's come in and pretty much took 
taken this team and made it its own, his own. Uh, so, I mean, Chris Holtman, he, he, he saw enough, you know, but although they didn't get the win, um, this team is still young, and he saw enough to, to build upon going into uh, the Big Ten schedule. They do have one last game um, prior to Christmas break. Uh, Wednesday, they do play the main Black Bears uh, here at the Schottenstein Center uh, prior to, I believe they get five days for Christmas off. So, uh, you know, we'll you know, hopefully get back, well, should get back on the winning track against uh, the, the main Black Bears on, on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't afford to, to lose a fight game when it comes to the main, but you will. I'm curious to get your thoughts on just overall the makeup of the team. Uh, maybe for people that haven't seen Ohio State play, what's what's kind of been the strength for them? What's kind of been the weaknesses early on during their non-conference schedule? Well, the strength is definitely uh, the backcourt. I mean, they have, um, as I said, true freshman Bruce Thornton. Um, they, they run the three-guard, uh, pardon me, the three-forward lineup, so size is not uh, what – is typical for Ohio State. Uh, Zach Key will be classified. Uh, he's listed as a, a forward, but he, for playing purposes, is the center at 6'8". Um, he's more of a 3-4 a combo forward. So he's, you know, the, the disadvantage for Ohio State is, is in the uh, in the size department. But Chris Holtman, he's, he's doing what he does. He's making it work. Um, a guard orchestrated, a guard dominant lineup, as I said, Bruce Thornton. Of the true freshman uh, Tanner Holden uh, transfer from Wright State uh, out of the portal, and also um, uh, Sean McNeil from West Virginia uh, off the bench as well. Um, also, uh, Isaac Licklager, he uh, from Oklahoma State, he's been away from the team, but he also has uh, played major minutes uh, again. The transfer from Oklahoma State, so uh, the, the guard play is is what start this what stirs the drink here at, at Ohio State. Uh but the the size that they do have it's it's serviceable. And uh, going into the Big Ten season, you know, we'll we'll see how far this team can go at the hands or on the shoulders of its freshman point guard. Mm-hmm. And kind of looking at the Big Ten conference overall, who's kind of the the team to watch in that conference as as conference play begins within uh within the week? Uh number one Purdue. Purdue's number one in the nation right now. Um, they won yesterday over Davidson. Uh, so they're hands down the, the preseason favorite. Uh, also Illinois um, with uh, the team that they have. Uh, Matthew Mayer from uh, Baylor. And, and uh, I've, it's like every team has a somebody key contributing from the transfer portal. And Indi- or, pardon me, uh, Illinois has just added Indiana as well. Uh, Mike Woodson and uh, – with his team, and he's in year three. So he's pretty much uh, putting his stamp on that team. So those three teams, along with Ohio State, are, are teams to look out for uh, this season for the Big Ten. For sure. And who will Ohio State open their conference late again? Uh, New Year's Eve against Northwestern. Mm. Interesting. So they have about 12 days until that portion, really, the, the meat and bones of the conference schedule starts rolling. So before we transition over, because I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on kind of the big headline event that was early on in the morning. But I do like to remind everybody watching that this is Folks Talking Sports presented by Five Star Properties. If you're facing foreclosure and want to sell fast, visit fivestarprops.com. That's F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R-P-R-O-P-S.com. They're a Dallas-based company owned by a UH alum, and they are the primary sponsor 
for folks talking sports for the duration of the college basketball season. So we had the starting off the show with the college basketball segment, but transitioning over now to really where all eyes, not just in America, but across the world war or were early on this morning. It was between Argentina and France in the World Cup final that saw Argentina come away with the victory and penalties after a 3-3 tie when uh, all was said and done and when it came to um, all the time they went into the penalties and it was Argentina that was able to pull away and really and it, it, it was a game that flipped on his head towards the 80th minute mark with um, really just a, a credit to what Mbappe was able to do for France but just overall, James, I'll go to you. What were your initial thoughts of that game and any main takeaways? Yeah, I mean, going in, I thought Argentina would win. I did not think it would be as dominant of a showing that we saw, like you mentioned, because for the first 75 or so minutes, it was all Argentina. You know, they scored twice in the first half. Um, you know, we're, we're holding holding uh, the fort down in the second half, you know, just trying to get to the finish line. Um, and then Mbappe took over and... You know, two goals in what uh, ninety seconds, two minutes, yeah. maybe, just just insane. And then the resiliency of France to bounce back once again. You know, Messi scores in the second uh, extra period, and France once again finds another way to get a penalty. And Mbappe puts it in the back of the net. Um, overall, just it's all you wish for in a championship game. Um, it's exciting. Had about had a little bit of everything, and uh, you know, in the end, I know a lot of people. We're pretty happy to see Messi, you know, finally get that um, elusive World Cup title. Uh, overall, I didn't really have a dog in the fight, but uh, I was just rooting for a good good uh, match, and it, it lived up to the expectation after what looked like it was going to be, you know, just an absolute blowout. Yeah, domination. Will, I'm curious to get your thoughts uh, from the World Cup. Yeah, definitely, uh, as, as James said, a dominant performance by Argentina. Just curious to see what would have happened if, France had been at full strength. I know they had a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries going into uh, today's final. So had they been at full strength, I think it would have been a, a lot more interesting. And maybe perhaps, I don't know, maybe they pull it out. But mm-hmm. hands down, you know, you got to give credit to, to Messi and, and Argentina. And, you know, they you know they did what they had to do. They won it. So can, congrats to them. And did you? I'm not sure if you guys had a chance to see the clip of the – Argentine broadcaster that was broadcast. Yeah, did you see it live. It? I heard it. Yeah. Live. Oh, you saw, yeah, yeah, you heard it live. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that was kind of that was that was that was deep. That was deep to hear him and his emotion and and how he. Uh, I would just spill it out. Yeah. And I think that's that's the really cool thing about you know an event just like the World Cup, where it's so so many eyeballs, and then you get the stories uh, like that, where that emotion, especially from that broadcast that it was happening live, it kind of just adds an extra layer to j- just that moment. That even if you're not necessarily a big fan of the sport, if you're listening it to live, you can kind of take that moment to to kind of step away and be like, dang, this this is a really really big deal. It's, history they're watching unfold and i'm curious to get this question out there because a game like that especially from from kind of localizing a little bit if you can localize an event such as the world cup but obviously from a united states perspective soccer isn't um soccer here in america everyone else across the world for foot football que le llaman, um, they're going to be is, is that a game that you get in this world cup final that maybe you can get a lot of the younger youth really in america to see a game like that and say hey 
crap, that's something I can see myself envisioning. That's something that maybe I want to grow up and be in a stage like that. Do you think that's something that could potentially get some more attention to soccer from an American perspective? From a from a niche standpoint, absolutely. But um, across the board, no, I don't. I don't, I, I don't think so. Um, I think it's more so. I mean, because it's it's what's prominent as far as media coverage. Soccer doesn't get the coverage here. NFL does, NBA does, MLB does. So that's what kids tend to gravitate towards. Soccer is a niche. We talk about a World Cup, but in three weeks, are we going to be talking about soccer? No, we're going to be talking about NBA trade deadline, the Super Bowl, and NFL playoffs, MLB, you know, spring training. So I don't think so. James, what about you? Yeah, I sort of side with Will on that. I think certainly uh, you see it across the U.S. People get excited for the World Cup and because it's a big deal. But um, in the long run, it's just not what's out there, you know. And, you know, the U.S. Soccer League with the MLS, just do- it just doesn't hit the same with, you know, the local population here. And so I feel like I, I, I do think the U.S. has taken positive steps uh, over you know the past decade or so, but there's still a lot of work to be done, and it's going to take more than just you know an exciting World Cup like we had this year. Um, there's got to be you know ways to get get kids exposed to it more than just once every four years. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing too, when it comes to the national men's soccer team, at least from a men's perspective, because we know that the the women's in the the United States national perspective, they've been able to to define a lot of success on the World Cup landscape. But from a men's perspective, they're also missing a star caliber player and and that that has that power when it comes to Mbappe and Messi. And I think it's an interesting point that you guys bring up in regards to the English to the Fox coverage. They've moved the celebration of the World Cup to FS1 just because the NFL was going to sit front and center stage. I think that certainly encapsulates what one, what the priorities are in America. And, and, and that's a great point. That is the disadvantage that a lot of people here in the United States have, because like you said, Will, NFL is king. And then even when it comes to other, I mean, media across ESPN, you're going to, I'm sure sports center is going to have a segment on it, but then the main focus will be on the games across the NFL, the games across the NBA. So I agree with both of you guys. It's certainly a perspective and it'll be interesting to see where four years from now the World Cup will be in North America. And it'll be interesting to see just how much buzz that generates uh, with their games across the United States. And really, hopefully it can be as exciting games as we saw in this World Cup final because just from a Houston perspective, they're going to be one of the host cities for that World Cup. So it's going to be exciting to see that event take stage in in the United States. But once again, we are... Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Who's the most prominent U.S. soccer player? That's probably... Kristen Kristen Pilsic, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Who does he play for? Chelsea. Exactly. Exactly. The most prominent U.S. soccer player plays for an English club. So I think that answers our question. And that's not something that's going to change because yeah. um, you're not going to see them come over to MLS uh, anytime, certainly not in their prime. Yeah. I mean, we have a soccer team. We have an MLS team here in Columbus, the Columbus Crew. And they do pretty well. But 
they're not holding a candlestick to Ohio State, football, basketball, anything. It's just for whatever reason. Well, it's a, it's a niche sport, and that's not to belittle it at all. I think it's just, as, as I said, the, the media coverage goes towards the NBA, the NFL, MLB, and you just don't have that that coverage, that, that coverage which then draws the interest, which then draws the numbers. You just don't have it. Absolutely. That's a great point. And on that note, do you want to remind everybody that they are watching and or listening to folks talking sports presented by Five Star Properties? If your house needs too many repairs and you want to sell as it as is, be sure to visit fivestarprops.com. That's F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R-P-R-O-P-S. Com. They are a data space company owned by a UH alum, and they are the primary sponsor for folks talking sports throughout the college basketball season. And in regards to college sports now, well, there's going to be a two different, two different, very, very different mindsets because Ohio State, they are preparing to play in uh, what? Well, I think the, called, the college football playoff. Correct. Meanwhile, James, the Cougars, they're preparing to play in what? They get to go to Shreveport, Louisiana and play in the Independence Bowl. The Independence Bowl. Very, very different um, games, very different goals, and very, very different stages for both of these programs. But, well, I'm going to go to you first. Just as we approach into that matchup between Ohio State, uh, what, what, what have kind of been – the, I guess, leading up, what are the storylines leading up for the Buckeyes as really they kind of come into underdog, something that they're not necessarily familiar with, at least from this perspective, and really uh, they were able to slide in because of USC's loss in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, the focus on the field um, for the bowl is more so to, to, to get the nasty taste out of my mouth and get the nasty taste out of their mouth from their last game. Uh, didn't end the way they thought it would. It ended, did not end the way they wanted it to. So now there's a chance at redemption. And possibly, if things go well, see that team again on January 9th. So now the focus is let's sharpen, you know, tie up what we have to tie up. Let's correct what we have to correct. And let's go in there, not overlooking Georgia. Let's go in there to beat Georgia while not looking ahead, but keeping in the back of the mind that there's a chance you can see that team again on January 9th. Mm-hmm. Do you think, how do you think Ohio State matches up with Georgia, a team that really, especially the last two years, they've kind of stepped in the, the role that you've, you've thought of Alabama in years in the past, certainly from an SEC perspective? I think they match up well. I mean, of course, you know, that dominant defense that Georgia has, I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from them. However, what I will say is that Ohio State has, I believe, an offense that they haven't seen. I don't think they've seen receivers the like of Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Mbuka, um, you know, even Julian Fleming. I don't think they've seen um, a quarterback as C.J. Stroud. I don't think, you know, so when you look at that, you know, and, and that's not me with my scarlet and gray glasses on. I just look at what Marvin Harrison has done this year. I don't see a receiver in the, in the SEC, let alone the country, that did what he did. 
and now he gets a chance to showcase that New Year's Eve in Atlanta. James, in terms of the Houston Cougars football perspective, we know kind of the the headliner was that Tank Dell, the star receiver for the Cougars, was gonna decided that he is gonna play in the bowl game despite that he's gonna pursue his NFL endeavors after this bowl game. And it was something that I mean, really, you I mean, you were there. Tank Dell gave me the answer. What was his reasoning in playing in the bowl game? But let's just focus on that first. Uh, what really were you surprised that Tank Dell? was going to play in the bowl game and then after listening to his reasoning what's kind of the thing that sticks out in terms of what Dell Tank Dell was able to say yeah before I answer that I just want to go on record and say I think Ohio State will beat Georgia I picked them to pull off the upset so there's that um we'll see but um yeah in terms of Tank Dell I was surprised that he played um typically unless it's a New Year's six or playoff game and you're going and you know you're going to the NFL the, the, the kids are just going to sit out. Sorry, my family's screaming. I don't know what's happening. But, uh, you know, it, it's just the typical response. It's the norm. Uh, you sit out if it's not a, a big-time bowl game, if you don't have a chance to, you know, if you're not playing on New Year's, basically. And so I was a little surprised with that just because, you know, you never know what can happen. You don't want to risk an injury. I think uh, his reason – I mean, his, his reasoning was basically, uh, you know, I want to – finish out what I started here at UH. Uh, we, we, we let people down this year. We didn't get anywhere close to our expectations. We want to, you can't make up or write all your wrongs in one game. A win over Louisiana is not going to do that, but you can at least, you know, give the program a little momentum going into the big 12 and with quarterback Clayton tune playing in the game as well, him and uh, tune and Dell are, you know, really tight. They've been together. They've done a lot of great things together. I think, you know, he just wanted to be out there with him one more time as well. So I was surprised, but I do understand, like, the reasonings he gave to why he will be suiting up one last time. Mm-hmm. What I want to ask about or to you and something that stood out to me is when he potentially said that kind of one of the factors that led into him going or at least pursuing getting drafted in the NFL was because – Clayton Toon's not coming back next season. I think that that was interesting. That stood out to me when I heard that. He said potentially he he would have come back. At least he would have maybe pondered it more had Toon been the guy returning. And and that's kind of one of the things where he said, you know, he didn't want to have to to build essentially another relationship with a new quarterback. And also he never said he said he never thought about transferring anywhere else. Yeah, for sure. Um, I. I do, uh, you know, you, you have to take what people say with a grain of salt, but I do think if Toon was eligible to come back, he might have, he really probably would have considered it pretty heavily just because you look at the draft board, I think a lot of people have him as like wide receiver 15 or so. So it's not like, you know, he's not going to go in the first round. He probably won't go in the first three or four rounds, you know, earliest, maybe late fourth, early fifth, um, maybe even later than that. So uh, you know, you, you think he, he has a chance to improve his draft stock, but, um, you know, with Houston, I understand not returning to Houston. You, no one knows who the quarterback's going to be next year. Um, obviously, uh, Lucas Coley is probably the front runner right now, but they're going to try to bring in transfers and just working with a new quarterback, who knows how that's going to work. I was surprised though, about the transfer answer. I thought he, that would be something he would seriously consider. You know, you, you put up, some of the best numbers in the country out of any receiver. And I'm sure there's some bigger programs that would be willing to take you um, and, you know, go out and sh- 
even on a bigger stage and show what you can do. So I was surprised that he said he didn't even put any thought into that. Well, I'm going to toss it over to you. I'm curious what, what stood out to you when James was giving his answer. Um, I'll say this. Um, I, I never question a young man. I don't know a young man's situation. I don't. I, I'm never uh, critical of anyone's the reasons for leaving early, I get it. I mean, I don't know the, I don't know his family situation. I don't know his financial situation. But it's shocking to hear that he's projected as wide receiver 15, fifth-round pick, and has eligibility remaining, but yet he wants to move on, especially in this age of NIL. If it's a financial situation, again, I don't know. But... To hear a young man saying, I'm going to leave school early and I'm projected, because I was already thinking in my mind, I was going to ask you guys if he had gotten feedback from the committee as to where his draft stock was. And to hear that it's a fifth round pick at best, especially in this age of NIL, that, that's kind of, that's interesting to me. That's interesting to me. That I understand that his quarterback's not coming back. Can I get it? And I don't. Is he a senior? Is Clayton Tillman a senior? Yeah, Clayton. Yeah. Okay. Senior kids. So no, no more, no more eligibility. Okay. Correct. But then to to say, okay, um, I don't know. Swing for the fences. Go to the portal. See if USC will come get you. Catch passes from the Heisman Trophy winner. If you're a fifth round pick now, why not go pick catch passes from the Heisman Trophy winner? I don't know. I'm just that's again. Not being critical, not criticizing the young man. I don't know his situation, but that's kind of interesting to hear that he's wide receiver 15, fifth-round pick, and he's looking to leave. That's certainly uh, going to be interesting to see. And, I mean, honestly, that could be another reason that he had in terms of playing in the bowl game as they try to improve or as he tries to improve that stock. But when you're looking at Tankadon, which is obviously it's just one site, but you look at the receivers – they, they have projected yet. James, you're absolutely right. Tank Dell's not projected in their top 10, I believe. And it's interesting that Rasheed Rice, who's a fellow receiver from the American Athletic Conference from SMU, he is in that list of potential 2023 receivers on the board. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Now, I think it's something that Tank could improve his dra draft stock as the, you know, as the draft gets closer with, with the different events. James, he's going to be, is he going to be in the Shrine Bowl? Or is he going to be in, he's going to be in one of those other games, correct? He's playing. I don't know how it works, but he's playing in the Senior Bowl, um, even though he's not a senior. Um, I don't know if he's doing anything else, um, but he's doing that, I know for sure. Uh, and then I assume if he gets an invite to the Combine, he'll do that and stuff. But yeah. And for going back to that bowl game, like you said, the Independence Bowl, it'll be between seven and five Houston and six and six Louisiana. And since that game is on Friday, December 23, James, I know you got to head out. I'm curious to get your predictions. What what are your early predictions you have for that game and what, what do you expect will happen? Yeah, I think the Houston offense will uh, score a lot of points. Just, you know, last time Clayton Toon's taken the field, uh, they want to, you know, they Dana's talked about how this is a game that they are a win they owe fans. So I think there'll be some motivation there. And especially considering they don't really have many opt outs um, 
for this bowl game that, uh, you know, they'll be prepared. I do think there'll be some defensive struggles at times, but I think Houston wins by 10 to 14 um, when it when it's all said and done. Which would be, uh, I would consider that a success for, for that bowl game specifically, not for the season. But I think it's interesting, certainly with the way the regular season ended with that loss to Tulsa, that's going to be something there. Trying to, like you said, James, get that bad taste out of their mouth before you head out, James. Where can people find you? As always, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, y'all can find me on Twitter at JDM2186, and then all my UH coverage is at thedailycoo.com. James, as always, thank you for being on the show. Uh, best of luck. You're not going to to the bowl game, correct? I will not be there. Cool. Then I'll, I mean, I'll see you on Wednesday then when Houston takes on McNeese. The men's basketball team takes on McNeese. Again, thank you for being on the show, and we'll catch you at well, – well, I'll, I'll see you on Wednesday, but we'll see, we'll see you at the next folks talking sports. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. For sure. And, Will, before we move on, I'd like to remind everybody that this is Folks Talking Sports, presented by Five Star Properties. If your house has fire damage, water damage, or even toxic mold, and you'd like to sell as is, be sure to visit fivestarprops.com. That's F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R-P-R-O-P-S dot com. They are a data space company owned by a UH alum and Five Star Properties is the primary sponsor for folks talking sports for the duration of the college basketball season. So huge shout out to Five Star Properties. It was actually the first ever primary sponsor of Let's Rage Cougs way back when in September. So obviously we have that relationship with Five Star Properties and they'll always be a friend not only here at the Houston Rombar Review, but of Let's Rage Cougs as well. To the NFL, well, because the Cleveland Browns were able to, could you call it an upset over the Baltimore Ravens and injured Lamar Jackson at mm-hmm. home? But it, 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 I'm curious to get, one, your thoughts on the game, and, and two, also on, on Deshaun Watson's kind of progression since like, coming back from his suspension. I'll take the second one first. Um, his progression, as expected. I think people had unrealistic expectations, for one. Uh, for him coming back, um, he hadn't played in over two years, 700 days, you know, well documented. And to think, I had people say um, after the Cincinnati game that he needed to be benched, that Jacoby Brissett needed to be playing again because Cleveland's in win now mode. And I said, wait a minute. He was still four and seven when he came back. I said, this is week two for him, this is week 14 for everyone else. I said, so if you're expecting him to be benched after two weeks, what is the expectation of everyone else that's been playing for 14 weeks? Um, I think yesterday clearly was his best game. And I think that's being said next week against New Orleans will be his best game because the more and more he, as, as Kevin Stefanski says, Coach Kevin Stefanski of the Cleveland Browns, the more and more he stacks game reps, he's going to continue to get better. And that's just natural. The more you do something, you're going to get better in most instances, I'll say. And um, thoughts on the game, the defense showed up. Yes, Jim Lamar Jackson was out. Uh, This team played uh, Tyler Huntley last year. Uh, uh, Lamar Jackson got hurt in Cleveland last year for the Ravens, and Tyler Huntley came in. uh, Actually, Cleveland was winning 24-3 
Uh, Tyler Huntley came in, brought them back, almost won the game. Uh, Cleveland ended up holding on the win 24-22. So they had seen Tyler Huntley before. Um, but the defense the last four weeks has started with the uh, Tampa Bay game. Uh, the defense has turned a corner. Open, you know, the switch has been clicked, flipped, and they're starting to play better. They held uh, Baltimore to three points. Justin Tucker uncharacteristically missed two field goals. Uh, one was blocked. The other one, he just flat shanked, which, you know, welcome to December in, in Cleveland because that wind, uh, and, and for that case, uh, Cade York, the Cleveland kicker, missed two field goals as well. Uh, that wind is, is nothing nice in December, swelling around the closed end and the dog pound in, in Cleveland. So, um, great win for the Browns. I don't, I don't know if I'll call it a, a, an upset, but um, it's a win and they need it. I mean, I don't, this team isn't about going to the playoffs this year. This is about maximizing the reps that you have with Deshaun this year to catapult him positively into 2023. Mm-hmm. And just kind of staying on the topic, um, oh, I, a couple things. I think it's it, interesting that you make that point in regards to the Browns maybe not necessarily having the playoffs in mind for this season. And like you said, being about getting Deshaun and then getting him some positive momentum into next season, which um, obviously they feel that Deshaun Watson was that missing piece from the quarterback perspective that could help carry him over the hump and you know, be able to win a Super Bowl down the road. But In regards to the draft pick perspective, um, does anyone in Cleveland really care that the Texans own their first-round pick, or what's kind of the mindset in in that aspect? Now that it's like 14, 15, 16, no. But when it was like 5, 6, yeah, they did. They did, but the team was like, like I said, 3 and 7, 4 and 7. The the draft pick was absolutely top of the conversation. But now, well, I'll say this. And Cleveland draft picks are always topics of conversation because people always want to hold on to draft picks. They don't want to trade draft picks because that could be the next, the one that's going to put us over the hump. But now I think when they've seen Deshaun and and what he's capable of, again, he's three weeks in. What can he do without an 11 a week gap between training camp and his first game? So that's what these next uh, remaining four games are about, or three games now. Remaining three games are about is getting him comfortable, positive reps to get him ready for twenty twenty three. And what the other question I was going to ask in regards to Watson from from the off the field perspective has has that noise kind of died down a bit at least in regards to to the Cleveland area. What's kind of that been like from a local perspective? It has, it has. Um, you know, he won his first game at home yesterday. I mean, that that's pretty much a topic of conversation. Um, you know, and we expected that to happen once he got on the field. Uh, last week was the first time he actually had media availability, and it was all football questions. Um, at, prior to him, um, his first media availability prior to the Houston game, it was um, VP of Media Relations, uh, Peter Jean-Baptiste, spe- specified and specifically mm-hmm. stated football-only questions. And then you had media that typically aren't in those Thursday media availabilities, 
ask the first two questions that were non-media or non-football related. And, you know, it was kind of a gotcha moment, if you will. Attempt at a gotcha moment that was uh, quickly squashed and, you know, he wasn't, uh, I don't want to say permitted. He chose not to answer them and um, understandably so. But, you know, now this was the week going into Baltimore where it was strictly a football centric media session, all football questions. No one even brought up, or I don't know, I can't say no one thought it, but no one ever brought up uh, the off the field situations. And, uh, you know, and you can tell the relief and the comfort level that Deshaun had in speaking. And even yesterday post game, um, you can see it. And, and you can, even in the, in the loss last week against Cincinnati, you can see his leadership. On the field, he was rallying guys, keeping guys engaged, letting them know, hey, we're not out of this. Let's go. Keep your head in the game. Those type things. And Jacoby was doing that as well. But those type things haven't been seen in Cleveland from the quarterback position in quite some time. So the team overall around him, they've they've kind of embraced him as that leader. They have. They have. Absolutely. To a man, they've talked about his leadership from day one. Um, from the trade, during OTAs, during mini camp, during training camp. And then uh, during his time of um, reacclimation, if you will, that he was able to be back in the building in meetings only, then he was ramped up to practice, and then he played. They've talked about his leadership seemingly since he's been, uh, since the trade was announced. Interesting. Uh, you're good to give uh, the Cleveland Browns really perspective, especially, you know, kind of the, the, the noise, at least from from the Houston perspective, when when out of all the games that Deshaun Watson came back was against the Texans. Now, three weeks ago, there was a lot of noise just in regards, obviously, that off the field perspective. But even then, as well, just being able to, to see him on the field in a place that he had played for his entire NFL career at NRG Stadium. And now that he's kind of separated from that, certainly from a Browns perspective. That's huge that the, the players around them have embraced them as that leader going forward. And as they close out the season, like you said, the, the key for the Browns would be to see him continue to improve heading into next season. But once again, for those of you guys watching live on the Houston Rumble Review YouTube channel or audio only, wherever you get folks talking sports for those platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcast, any other platforms that you may be listening to, this is Folks Talking Sports presented by Five Star Properties. If you inherited a property and don't want to be a landlord, visit fivestarprops.com. That's F I V E S T A R P R O P S. Dot com. They are a Dallas-based company owned by a UH alum. They are the primary sponsor for folks talking sports for the remainder of the college basketball season. Again, that's five-star properties. Kind of changing gears to the other major sport, at least in America right now, the National Basketball Association. And sticking with Cleveland, the Cleveland Cavaliers, currently they sit at third in the Eastern Conference. They're 20 and 11. They just came off a pretty... You know, impressive win against the Dallas Mavericks that, that came down to overtime. What have you seen from the Cavaliers overall to start the season? It's still December, so they've, they've what, two months now into the basketball season that they've had mm-hmm. in the NBA, and they sit atop the, the third, third top three in the Eastern Conference. Before I answer that, can I just tie a ball around at the Sean Watson piece? Yeah, uh, I was able to take a peek at the 2023 schedule. 
And uh, just for uh, localization, the Cleveland Browns do visit the Houston Texans again in NRG Stadium in 2023. So get your oh, popcorn ready. Interesting. Yeah. That is very interesting. It'll be, well, depending to see what the, the Texans do, that, don't even get me on this. So they're now 112 and 1. They have been more competitive since against the Browns. I guess something about those top matchups against the Cowboys and against the Chiefs um, has brought out the best in, in the Texans, at least from that perspective, from a competitive standpoint. They haven't been able to close the deal today. So tough way to lose. They, they force overtime against the Chiefs. They actually got a stop on the Chiefs on their first offensive possession in overtime. I think they did fairly a, a pretty good. This is probably the best that they've played against Patrick Mahomes in the past since he's been the quarterback for the Chiefs, which is saying a lot compared to where at least when they were supposed to be competitive going back to when Watson was here. This is certainly the best over from a defensive perspective. They were able to contain Mahomes, but killer fumble by quarterback Davis Mills at their very first possession. I think it was interesting. It was really funny that the TV broadcast kind of jinxed there and said, oh, the Texans haven't turned it over all afternoon. And lo and behold, the next play was a strip sack by Mills that set up basically the, the walk-off touchdown for the Chiefs in that aspect. So I think for all intents and purposes, the Texans are pretty much barring something drastic. They've put themselves in a really good position to own the number one overall pick. And it's interesting that you mentioned that the Browns will be back in Houston and from a fan perspective they're probably got hoping there's a lot more buzz around that match than it was this year because you know, by the time the Browns got into town the Texan season was for all intents and purposes over so hopefully that matchup is closer to the beginning of the season when there's much more hope but um, transitioning over to the NBA and in regards to the Cavaliers and the success that they've had early on in the season I think from a local perspective that's something that the Rockets probably um, aspire to be to, to at least in the future, two seasons from now, what the Cavaliers were able to do, especially post LeBron, um, whenever he left the second time to head to the Lakers. Right. Um, to that point, I was I was at a conversation with someone today, uh, four years ago when I, I first started covering um, the Cavs regularly. There were nights where entire sections of the arena may see two people. Wow. In the entire section. Um, and then, um, slowly but slowly but surely, you know, kudos to Kobe Altman, Mike Ganzi, um, his staff, um, at the time, Andre Patterson, um, Brandon Weems, that entire front office staff. Uh, they've methodically, slowly but surely, put the pieces out. Uh, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Isaac Coro. Um, Evan Mobley, and then you, uh, Ochai Abaje, and then you take those pieces and trade them for one Donovan Mitchell, and that's the key. You asked earlier what's been the key. That he's the key. Donovan Mitchell, there was a time Friday night, uh, uh, Benedict Matherin, rookie for uh, Indiana, uh, the Cats are playing Indiana. And Indiana was uh, up, I think, 13 at the time of the fourth quarter, which they never should have been at that time. This this Cavs team, they, they were sleepwalking. And it was a tie-up. Donovan Mitchell and, and Benedict Matherin. And the rest blow the whistle, and no one let go of the ball. Matherin, Mitchell. Matherin, Mitchell. They're holding on to the ball, and Donovan Mitchell just kind of looked at him like, 
And then finally, Matherin let the ball go. Donovan Mitchell took the ball and threw it to the ref. Now, on on paper, you're kind of like, what? It's a tie-up. What does it matter? But post-game, he was asked about that. And uh, Donovan, Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell said, sometimes you have to, not to sound corny, you got to let them know. <laughs> and from that point on, Cleveland went on a 28-9 to run to end the game. They won the game from that point on. Now, to look at it, like, man, does that really matter? Did that really matter? Yes, because this team would have never done that last year at all. It's Donovan Mitchell. He brings something to this team that they lacked sorely. Leadership, leadership, leadership. Darius Garland can take all the shots, but now he doesn't have to. Now he can distribute. Now, and even Donovan Mitchell has said, you know, this team has brought something out of him because Lamar Stevens has, uh, um, most people would consider Lamar a role player. He's a very intricate, integral part of this team. Uh, starter, small forward, uh, comes off the bench, does whatever needs to be done. But Donovan has credited him because he checks him, checks Donovan. And he said, no one's ever done that in my career for me in the five years prior to this one. I've never had this the person that would come to me and say, come on, man, look, what are you doing? Come on, let's go. Quit, quit, quit playing. And Lamar Stevens does that. And that, in turn, has allowed Donovan to lead this team the way he's done it. Like you said, they're 2011 third in the East coming up on Christmas. So, uh, this team is definitely on its way. Uh, definitely, uh, playoffs last year, they were uh, fourth in the East prior to the injuries. And, uh, uh, Jared Allen had injuries. Darius Garland had injuries. Um, Colin Sexton missed virtually the entire season. But now, along with health, you have Donovan Mitchell. And I think he's going to be the one that's going to lead this team Back, I won't say LeBron levels. It was interesting. Uh, he had 45 with the Lakers in town uh, a couple weeks ago, Donovan Mitchell. So, you know, he, he talked about how much of an honor it is to do that with LeBron in the house. So, you know, the, the best, I think, is yet to be seen from this team uh, going forward. And I think it begins and ends with Donovan Mitchell. I think that's such an underrated aspect when when you look at teams that are looking to rebuild. It's not always about you know being able to draft young guys and having them grow uh, together. It's like you said, it's making a move like that, bring being able to bring in a piece like Donovan Mitchell. That even then, it's not like you you're not going to say that Donovan Mitchell's old, but he's at the point where he's had so much playoff experience. He's been there with the Jazz. He's had to be really the face for the Jazz, and now with the Cavs, I mean he's. He's still relatively a young player that can not necessarily – he's not where you could say he's too old for the roster or whatever. He's, he's like you mentioned, the leadership he brings to the table, more importantly, the skill set that he brings to the table. And then he's still at a point where three years from now, four years from now, he could still be a key piece for the Cavaliers. And when you look at their younger guys – three, four years down the road to have a presence of Donovan Mitchell, that's something that's going to just benefit them in the long run. And they, 
are in a position to be a serious threat, not only this season, but for years to come. And that's something that's an underrated aspect from a rebuild that sometimes gets lost that that could be a key piece, especially with a team like the Rockets that they're still in the phase where they're just trying to, they still have so many picks that they're still one trying to grow that young group, but they could put themselves in position a year from a year from now, two years from now to be able to make a move like that, that really came, you know, it, out of left field, if you could say it, you know, a lot of people thought that Donovan Mitchell would end up going to the Knicks, which the Knicks themselves, they've, they've been hot as of late. But I think it's interesting from an NBA perspective, there's so many ways. There's not just one blueprint to follow in a team that, that could be rebuilding. And for the Cavs, especially the success that they really haven't had when LeBron James is not on the roster. Quick story about that. You're right. Everyone, everyone in the, in the NBA world, sports world, thought, Donovan was going home to the Knicks. Uh, quick story. What happened was um, apparently the Knicks were, were playing around with some protections on their picks. And uh, Kobe Altman, Cavs general manager at the time, uh, now VP of pres- or president of basketball operations, was in New York. And he got wind of New York and their reluctancy to remove protections from picks. So he called um, Justin Zanuck, uh, GM of the, of the Utah Jazz, and said, "Hey, you know, let's talk about Donovan. What will it take?" And they've had a they have a relationship. They've done some deals in the past. Uh, Jordan Clarkson to the from the Cavs to the Jazz for some picks. Um, uh, Rodney Hood at the time uh, to the Cavs for some things, and they, they've done some quote unquote minor deals. In the past, so they have a relationship, and uh, Kobe Altman got on the phone, and uh, three days later, Donovan Mitchell was a Cleveland Cavalier. Uh-huh. Damn, that's crazy. So if Altman's never New York, that deal probably doesn't happen for the Cavs. Yeah, yeah, three first-round picks, three players. Now, and then talk to your earlier point about the picks. People are weirded out, like, we gave up too much. We gave up too much. I don't think people are saying they gave up too much now. Because Donovan yeah. Mitchell has come in again and, and just taken over in the right way, crazy. in the right way. Right. But isn't that crazy how delicate, how uh, really, how how quickly things can shift? And it's you kind of think about it where it's something that kind of, it seems like out of the wind. It's, it's just, uh, it's crazy you don't think about how, how delicate situations can be and how quickly things can pick up. And really at some of the times it should, I mean, I don't know if you could call that luck, but that's certainly a fortunate um, situation for the Cavs that one, Altman was able to find that out that the Knicks were hesitant with those picks. But then just like that, that relationship in place, it it all fell, really fell in their lap really relatively quickly in a span of how quickly stuff goes behind closed doors. But that's pretty much going to do it for this episode of Folks Talking Sports presented by Five Star Properties. Once again, Five Star Properties is a Dallas-based company owned by a University of Houston alum. If you're facing foreclosure or you need to sell your house as is for cash, call 972-532-SELL or visit their website at fivestarprops.com. That's F-I-V-E-S-T-A-R-P-R-O-P-S.com. And like I've mentioned throughout the show, a big shout out to Five Star Properties because not only are they the primary sponsor 
for folks talking sports throughout the college basketball season, but really they were one of the they were the first primary sponsor for Let's Rage Coups. Once again, you can see their number there on the screen, 972-532-SELL. If you want the num- numerical version, that's 972-532-7355, the Dallas-based company. But, well, thank you for joining me. Where can people find you and anything else you'd like to promote? Uh, thank you for having me, Andy. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Will Gibson Seven. Um, on Facebook at Will Knows. Thank you. We'll be back. I'm not sure when our next folks talking sports will be because next Sunday, obviously, it'll be uh, Christmas Day. So we need to we, we might have to call an audible on when exactly the show will be, but it will be posted to the social media sites. I'm sure uh, Chris, who's currently in Dallas for I think he said a quadruple header is going to be um, taking place in Dallas when it comes to college basketball. So he's living it up in the Dallas area. So kind of interesting five-star properties. If you're around Chris, be sure to check them out as well if you're in town, but we'll be back next week at some point, maybe not Sunday, maybe a little bit earlier, but just be sure to follow us on social media. You guys can do so. You can follow me on Twitter at Aonis underscore five, and we'll be back for let's rage Cougs on Wednesday night following the Houston Cougars men's basketball teams game over McNeese until then once again thank you guys for taking the time out of your guys' days being able to enjoy an episode of folks talking sports and we'll see you guys next time